Let's ask the Lord to bless us all here today in this service and to bless his word to our hearts. Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be in the house of God. We thank you that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you are here with us today. We ask you to bless each and every one of us as we come, Lord, into your presence. Bless the word to our hearts and lives. We thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. I know I tell you that all the time, but it's always a nice gesture. And then you may be seated. God bless you. We are in the first chapter of the book of Romans. And uh, in the first chapter of the book of Romans, Paul talks about two things, the gospel, how it goes forth faith by faith. And then he talks about the judgments of God that will also come. And the judgments of God will come because there is sin and that God always deals with sin. He talks about that. And uh, he talks about various kinds of sins, how that God uh, will condemn these things. He talks about uh, sins that he will turn people over to and say that he will turn them over. This is 24, for instance. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Uh, And then in verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Talking about how that if you sin, 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 God eventually says, go your own way. I no longer will deal with you or try to save you or try to help you to find me and walk with God and serve God because when you, he goes on to say here that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They had a chance, but they didn't do it. And uh, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So he sort of depicts the picture here, and uh, he goes on down toward the end and uh, says that these individuals, they know that there is coming a judgment for their sins. And uh, he mentions it here, uh, verse 31, without understanding, without understanding is one, coveted breakers, two, without natural affection, three, implacable, unmerciful. And finally, in verse 32, he says this, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. In them, meaning the people that do them. They have pleasure in them, the people. And the people that do them. Now, the reason I'm going to, what I'm going to talk to you about here today is a very interesting Bible lesson. And I really want you to give me your attention because I'm going to take you into some areas that even many Bible scholars do not understand. And I'm going to leave this with you here today. I'm going to show you scriptures and show you some things here in the Word of God that helps us understand Paul's writings because... When you go into chapter 2, it seems like Paul is off the charts. He's on something else. You say, what is Paul talking about? And unless we understand what I'm going to talk to you about here today in a few minutes, unless we understand those things, we think, Paul, you changed the whole subject. We don't know why. So he talks about sin. He talks about how God will save the sinners and it will come by faith, faith in the Lord. We are saved by grace and that through faith. And uh, that's, that, that scripture comes out of Ephesians, but it's spelled out here in, in Romans as well. 
And then he goes on to talk about how God would deal with sin. Okay. Then he comes to chapter 2. And here's how chapter 2 starts out. Therefore. The word therefore implies that what is to follow is based on what has been said. Right? I think we all understand that in the English language, you know. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. Wait a minute. Judges? God, he's talking about people judging people now. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. Wait a minute, I thought he was talking about all of these various kinds of sin, unnatural affection, uncleanness, the immorality, he talks about murder, envy, debate. And then he talks about here, for with, uh, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same thing. Wait a minute. What are we talking about here? Then he goes on to say, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. And then he goes on here for several verses talking about God judging, and we have no right to judge. You think, well, what has that got to do with anything? Now, I'm going to give you some background. Otherwise, you'll never understand why Paul went into the judgment in chapter 2. First of all, in the original manuscripts, there were no chapters 1 or 2 or 3. Those were added later by the translators to help us to read the Bible. So there was not even verses that were numbered. They were just written there, perhaps in paragraphic form and so forth. So there was no really, so it actually, chapter 1, chapter 2 just flows together, but it seemed like it changes subject. So I want to take a little time here and talk to you a little bit about uh, what Paul was dealing with in his day and in his time. And I'm going to give you some things here that for us to understand here. Uh, Paul's epistles speaks about all the things that he wanted to tell the early church. Remember, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. God called him for that purpose, and he knew that. And so did all of the other apostles. They understood that about Paul. Paul was, he called himself a, a, an apostle born out of due season, which meant that he was the youngest of the family. There were 12 apostles, Judas Iscariot, failed God. The other disciples, before they had the baptism of the Holy Ghost, cast lots and chose Matthias, but God never chose Matthias to be the 12th. He had one in mind already, and that would be the Apostle Paul when Paul came. And uh, when Paul would come along, he would say to Paul, Paul, you are to be uh, my mouthpiece to the Gentiles. You are to testify to kings, potentates, leaders, rulers, and to people of all nationalities all over the world. And so forth. And so Paul understood that about himself. And he also understood how that the gospel was to reach the Gentiles. He understood that. Now, uh, I'm going to uh, talk to you a little bit about this because in Paul's writings, in his epistles, there are two basic subjects that he deals with in all of his epistles that he wrote. He wrote most of the epistles. Epistles are letters that he wrote to the churches. Uh, he wrote the majority of the, of the letters to the churches, the epistles as, as they were called. And he would specify some was to this group, some was to that group, one, one church here, when they're Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, so forth. And uh, he would write them. Now, in those letters, depending on the condition that was happening in that particular church, Paul would deal with a particular situation. There were two basic subjects that he dealt with. One was how to be a Christian, how to live for God, how to serve the Lord, how to worship you know, how just to be a real good saint of God and a Christian walk with God. 
Uh, he dealt with that in a lot in 1 Corinthians. He dealt with that in 1 Thess- Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians as well. 2 Thess- Corinthians as well. And, and on and on, uh, I think uh, Philippians was another one. And then uh, he, he dealt with individuals like Timothy and Titus. He wrote letters to them. But then there were some epistles that Paul wrote to to try to help them to understand how they as Gentiles could be saved. It, was, it dealt with the principles of salvation. In other words, how is it that you, a Gentile who is not of Abraham, how you could be saved? And the reason that Paul dealt with that was because in his day, there were those who were trying to say that the Gentiles, even though they were baptized in Jesus' name and still filled with the Holy Ghost, they had to come under the law of Moses to be fully saved. And so these individuals were constantly working on these Gentiles, trying to tell them, you don't have enough. Your repentance is not enough. Your baptism in Jesus' name is not enough. And that's the only way they baptized, incidentally, in that first century. In Jesus' name, there was no title baptism stuff. Uh, they only baptized in Jesus' name. And so these people, as they were saved, these Gentiles, these Gentile, these Jewish Christians, not all of them, many of them, would go among them and begin to say, no, 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 you've got to be circumcised. No, 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 you've got to start keeping the law. You've got to line up to the law, and we're going to tell you what you've got to do and what you don't have to do and how you have to do it and how you don't have to do it. Paul, in one place, I think it was in the Corinthians, he even rebuked those Jews, and he says, you should be teachers, but you're not. He said, you're not teachers at all, because whenever you should be teachers and feeding the others, you have need to be fed yourself and to, and to understand what the gospel was all about. So in this area, Paul would try to explain then to these churches, these Gentile churches, how it was possible that they, being the Gentiles, could be saved without the works of the law. That's why he deals with Romans, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, and particularly those three books. He deals with that subject of that we are saved not by uh, works, but we're saved by grace. And that's why he dealt so much with that. Uh, it was dealing with the works of the law. And I think in the book of Galatians, every time he says works, he says works of the law, just about in every, every breath. <clears throat> and this is the way he refers to it. And so I'm just pointing out to you here, this is what Paul was dealing with in his day, in his epistles, when he would write these Gentile churches and talk to them. Now, I'm going to give you some, uh, a little backup here. I want you to go with me to the book of Acts. I want to show you here what originally happened and how that Paul had all of the apostles on board with him understanding how the Gentiles were to be saved. I want you to go to Acts chapter 15. I'm going to take a little time with this. Go to Acts chapter 15. And Paul and Barnabas had gone out on their, what was called Paul's first missionary journey. He had gone up into what we know today to be Turkey, which was called at that time uh, Asia and, and Galatia and different other names it had for it, uh, different parts of it at least. Asia was, we know today to be the Orient, but actually Asia back in, in the Bible time uh, was a part of uh, Western Turkey. <clears throat> and uh, they had gone up there and they had gone from place city to city and they had started churches. They had preached the gospel to these Gentiles and these Gentiles had been saved and they established churches. 
And then when they had done that and these Gentiles were just coming to God and they were believing on the Lord and they, the miracles were happening and the power of God was falling and they had a tremendous success and, uh, and, and uh, churches being founded. And so they came back to a place called Antioch, which is today in the, uh, in, we, we would call it Lebanon, in the, in the country of Lebanon. It's along that northern coast of the Mediterranean Sea there, just north of Israel. And it was an area right in there called, all this was under the old Roman Empire. There was no separation of, they could go back and forth just like we go back and forth in states, you know, states in America and so forth. They would travel in that fashion. And so they came back to Antioch because it was in Antioch where that they began to send out missionaries into the Gentile area to be saved. So when Paul and them came back, Paul said, let's go to, to Barnabas, let's go down to Jerusalem and let's tell the, the Christian uh, Jews in Jerusalem what's happening among the Gentiles. And so this 15th chapter is all about that. And here's the reason. Verse 15 and verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men which came out of Judea, Judea is where Jerusalem was. And remember, when you measured time, distance, always you went up to Jerusalem. So sometimes when you talk, even though it was south of of uh, of Antioch, they still said up. They always use the word up. And certain men which came down from Judea thought the brother, taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now these were Christians who had already been saved. They were Gentile Christians. And he was saying, no, you got to, all your, the Jews had come up and done that. In verse two, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they came back and said, what are you doing? You don't have to do that. This is not required under the, under the New Testament. And so Paul had some really disputive words with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Okay, everybody with us? Okay, and so I'm looking down here to save time here. They, you know, they went, and as they went on their way, they told people, in these other churches, like Samaria and every one, they said, these Gentiles are really getting saved. And everybody was happy about it. Everybody was rejoicing. And uh, verse 4, and when they were come to Jerusalem, verse 4 now, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Everybody was happy. Look at verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now, these were Jews who had been Pharisees, but whenever they believed on Jesus Christ, they became Christians. You understand what I'm saying? But because they were Pharisees, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) they still believed strongly in maintaining all the restrictions of the law. And so they were the ones who had always always held back the tide. The Pharisees had been very influential, uh, not letting the Greek culture overwhelm Israel back uh, when the Greek culture was so powerful and so strong in those days. And the Pharisees had withstood that. The Maccabees, all uh, the Maccabees, the book of the Maccabees, first, second Maccabees, which is in between the Old and New Testament. Uh, Those writings in there are all about uh, how that these people withstood that. and so the, the Maccabee family, how they all withstood that Grecian influence, the Assyria, the, the, not Syria, but not Assyrian, but Syria, that northern nation above Israel. 
and also Egypt and how that they withstood all that. So the Pharisees had identified themselves to be real staunch and very strong on what they believed. Well, when Jesus came along, most of them rejected Jesus, but there were some who believed. They became Christians. They were saved. But when they became saved and began to walk with God, they heard about these Gentiles. They said, no, no, these Gentiles have got to come the same way we came. They got to obey the law. They got to keep the law. Uh, all, the, all the men have to all be circumcised. That, uh, that they got to go back under the law and so forth. And Paul, knowing what God had spoken to him and given him and having the understanding of the fulfillment of the law, Paul said, no way, that doesn't matter because when you've got Jesus Christ, you've got the fulfillment of the law. And when you have the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost in you, you have that spirit in you to guide and lead and direct you in all the things that God wants us to do and how we should be and how we should act without the, without the law, outside of the law, above the law, beyond the law. And so Paul's point was this. And so here he comes to Jerusalem, verse 5, says these Pharisees uh, who were believers now, and I call it early church Phariseeism. They were in the early church, er, the early church Pharisees. They were saying that there was, it was needful uh, to circumcise them that, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, verse 6, and this is very interesting. Look very closely at these words. Excuse me. <coughs> and the apostles and elders came together for to, to consider the consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. Now remember, the apostle Peter was the chief. The apostle Peter rose up and said unto the men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knew their hearts, bare them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Now, that all happened in the 10th chapter. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Just I got a little frog in my throat. This all happened in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. And then in the 11th chapter, Peter and those men that were with him, there were, I think, six of them, they went back to Jerusalem and said to them, this is what happened when the Gentiles heard the gospel. They all got saved. They all received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, spoke in other tongues, and then we baptized them in Jesus' name. Everybody said, praise the Lord. And everything was fine. So he reminds them of that. Verse 8, I'm reading here, 15, 8. And God hath, uh, hath, hath heard the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did us. Verse 9, and put all, no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, this is what Peter said. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Why put the law on them? But we believe that through grace of the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved even as they. In other words, we've got to do the same thing they have to do, and that is to believe God and have the grace of God to work in our lives. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. In other words, what Paul and Silas had is said, look, not only God has did God condone these Gentiles being saved by simply repenting, being baptized, and being filled with his spirit, the Holy Ghost. Not only has God condoned that, but he has performed miracles among us. 
And he has done that for these people, so this has got to be of God. And the people all said, yay, praise the Lord, that's wonderful, you know. Uh, you know, I'm going to inject this for whatever it's worth. Once in a while I hear some story about somebody that thinks that we're not quite on track with the gospel. You know, somebody says, you know, you don't get baptized in Jesus' name. Jesus came from a Greek word. Therefore, we have to get baptized in Yahushua. That's the Hebrew word for Jesus. Yahushua. You know, that's not true. That's not true. The early church, the early church period of time in Jesus' day, they never spoke pure Hebrew. That's why when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he was on the cross, you know, dying. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And they said, what is he saying? They said, I don't know what he's saying. Jesus was speaking pure Hebrew on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? You find that in Psalms 22.1. My God, my God, why has that forsaken me? That is the beginning of a chapter that describes the crucifixion of Jesus in the Old Testament. Psalms 22, read it sometimes. It's, uh, it's written by David, and it was David having the Spirit of God on him and actually reflecting how Jesus felt on the cross when he would come 2,000 years later. Anyhow, that, uh, that word that he said, the reason that those Jews didn't know what he was saying, he's speaking pure Hebrew because they did not speak pure, pure Hebrew. They spoke a language called Aramaic. Aramaic was uh, part Hebrew, part, part uh, Chaldean, uh, part uh, Greek you know, mixed together, sort of like the Yiddish in the Jews, you know, throughout Europe, they speak Yiddish. What is Yiddish? Not Hebrew. It's just a conglomeration of Polish and German and whatever, you know, that, and, and some maybe a little Hebrew or whatever. It, the Jews never spoke pure Hebrew until they went back this time, back around, uh, I don't know, beginning around the turn of the last century, around 1900, when they went back that time and began to reestablish themselves as a nation along the way, and they got together and said, look, let's go back and get the real pure Hebrew and let's teach that. So that's where they are today. So when you say somebody has to be baptized in the name of Yahushua, we've got to say it that way, that's not right at all. That's wrong. That's not the way it was. I know Yahushua was a Hebrew way of saying Jesus, but in the New Testament, that's not the way it was said. And not only that, and I'm coming to my point if, if baptizing somebody in Jesus' name, just good old Jesus, just the way we English people say it. You know, yeah, I think uh, Jesus is the way the Spanish, am I right? The Spanish say Jesus. It's the same, same thing, but they pronounce it different. We say Jesus, they say Jesus. Okay, just that good old name Jesus in English. If that was wrong, God would not honor that. I have prayed for people in Jesus' name and they'll instantly be healed. If it was wrong, you know, God would not honor that. But somebody said, oh, now we've got to change all of our baptism. We've got to start doing all of it. When you hear that stuff, forget it. That's usually somebody trying to get a hold of something to, to feel like that, you know, we're not doing something right. Well, thank God. I don't know. God keeps on blessing. God keeps on saving. God keeps on delivering people out of sin. He keeps on healing this brother back here. God bless you every time I see you. My dear brother, I'm just so rejoicing. Came to this church, got baptized in Jesus' name, had oxygen mask on in a, in a, in a walker, a wheelchair, I think it was. Everything, and now you see him in church, and he doesn't have the breathing apparatus and all the oxygen, and he, he's walking around, and he got baptized in Jesus' name. There was, a, there was nothing else added there. So what I'm trying to point out to you here, 
praise the Lord, is that signs and wonders and the things that go along with the gospel also so support the truth in God. So when Paul and Silas stood up, they said, hey, this is what's been happening, you know, when we were just preaching to them that they were to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, be, repent and be baptized in his name, and they would be filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were, and these healings also happened. Now, after they had got through speaking to them, then James decided to say something. Verse 13, and after they had held their peace, James answered, saying. Now, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. At that time, that church numbered somewhere around between 20 and 25,000 people in Jerusalem that were, that were Christian Jews. James, who was the brother of Jesus, this James. It was not James, the brother of John. It was James, the brother of Jesus. This, that is, he was the son of Mary and Joseph. I don't know whether you know this or not, but when, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph went on to live a normal life as husband and wife, and, uh, and they, had, they had about six, at least six children. They had four sons and at least two daughters. And so two of the, two, one of these sons was James. And uh, I think about two or three of those sons became actually leaders of their time and their day in the Christian element, Christian movement. So here's James. He stands up and he's a very, he's the one that wrote the, the book of James in the Bible. Very intelligent, brilliant man. And he stands up and uh, he says, James answered and said to them, and he gives a talk supporting what Peter said. These Gentiles don't need to go back and do the law. What I'm showing you here, they established that to be the fact. And then when they got all through, he said in verse 19, therefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. This is things that they said, let's write then and say, don't do this. <clears throat> For Moses of old hath uh, in, in every city of them that preach him, that is, they preach Moses, uh, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day and so forth. And then it goes on to say in verse 22, then it pleased, it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, uh, namely Judas uh, named uh, Barnabas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. <coughs> Excuse me. Now what I'm showing you here that... Uh, they said, we're going to send letters now. And this is what they said in verse 24. Wherefore, as ye have heard that certain men which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you, our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And so they established this. You understand what we're saying here? The apostles and the early church established that if the Gentiles simply repented, believed in Jesus Christ, were baptized in his name, filled with the Holy Ghost, they were saved. Praise the Lord. They were saved. They're on the way to glory and everything. And Paul, we leave it all up to you and the rest of them to guide and direct them and teach them how to live for God, how to worship God, how to keep their lives clean and holy above, you know, and so forth. And they don't have to go back and keep the law. And so this is what they concluded. But these Pharisees, these early church Pharisees ignored this. And when they would hear about churches that Paul had established, they would go along and behind them. 
And then they would get it there and say, oh, no, 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 no. You've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to change this and you've got to change that and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and they've got to change it all around. Be careful about people that slip in around through the side doors, back doors, and and so forth. Let me say something. If you come to God, you give your heart and soul to the Lord, and you start serving God and walking with the Lord, follow this pulpit. It won't, it won't steer you wrong. We've got one of the best pastors in the country. I'm serious. He's my son, but I can tell you the fact he's one of the best. I mean, I, he's my pastor as well. You know, I know I'm bishop, but he's my pastor too. And I'm going to tell you what, this pulpit will guide you straight. The people that get in this pulpit and stand in this pulpit, uh, he knows who they are. He knows their background. He knows all about them. They're not going to get up here and say some wild blue yonder stuff, you know. <clears throat> but, man, there's people on the Internet saying garbage stuff, junky stuff. Somebody's out there saying the word Easter. The word Easter is a pagan holiday. Are you kidding me? The word Easter comes from the, from the Hebrew word Passover, which is pascha. And it comes from that Hebrew, the Hebrew word. And it's in the Bible. I can show you the word Easter in the Bible. I can show you right there in the Bible where it is. Where Paul says, I'm going up to Jerusalem to celebrate Easter. It says E-A-S-T-E-R. Is that how you spell Easter? <laughs> I say that every time for the benefit of everybody's listening. I'm just trying to... T- <laughs> so <laughs> I can't help but do that. Anyhow, can I just tell you here today... Let's follow the word of the Lord and let's just be up front and let's say, God, your way is so very simple. The Bible says that a fool will not err therein. Hallelujah. And so when somebody starts trying to add all kinds of stuff and we're not supposed to celebrate Christmas and we're not supposed to do this. And, hey, didn't Jesus have a birthday? You say it was not the 25th. All right. But he had a birthday. He, he's, he, he was born. And we're going to celebrate it sometime. Celebrate it in June if you want to. But celebrate Christmas sometimes. You know, if they want to pick December 25th, it's fine with me. I like it. Everybody else seems to go along with it. <coughs> I'm not for all this Santa Claus stuff and all this. When years ago, I uh, I'd made up my mind I was, was going to teach my children that there was no Santa Claus. Excuse me. And there well, I was in a department store with a friend of mine one time. A guy with Santa Claus was sitting on his little throne. And uh, kids were coming up there. And he and I had just come from a sales meeting. And we were fixing to buy a few things and head home. And I never forget we were in shopping in this store. It was sort of like a Target or something. I don't know. And this guy was, he was on this throne there. And he said he waved at us like that. You know, and we waved at him. Well, we got all through shopping, got our stuff. We started out the door. And as we walked out the door, here's a guy that was standing here wanting money. And uh, so I think we each would gave him a dollar or something, you know. I said, yeah. He said, you know who I am, don't you? I said, no. He said, I'm Santa Claus. I was the Santa Claus guy in there. I said, you were the Santa Claus? Yeah. He said, I waved at you guys. And we said, yeah, you did. Well, when I walked away from that, I said to that friend, I'm not going to put my little girl up in the lap of a a guy like that. You know, say, this is Santa Claus. He brings you everything. Oh, he's like God. And this guy is an an alcoholic, probably wanted to go buy a beer or something. And he looked like he he was headed for the nearest bar whenever they let him out. And I said, from now on, I'm teaching my daughter no more Santa Claus. 
Well, that was a sort of a hard pill to swallow. Well, when my son came along, and he was just a little fellow, I said, no Santa Claus, no Santa Claus. So one day we were in Panama City, Florida, downtown, it was around Christmas time. And we were together and we were out shopping, and I felt a little tug on my pants. I looked down at David. David looked at me, and he pointed over there on the street corner. There was a guy ringing a bell with a Santa Claus suit on. There's Santa Claus. I said, no, no, there is no Santa Claus. Now, there he is right there. <laughs> we went on down the street. I said, well, son, he's dressed like Santa. He went on down the street. I felt another pull. There's another Santa Claus right there. Santa Claus. Here he is. He's dressed up in a suit. I said, okay, I understand. To him, he doesn't understand when you say there's no Santa Claus and he's seeing him in a, in a red suit. There is a Santa Claus. But getting back to the thing about Christmas, I just want to say this. I don't believe that we, you know, should be your big hog wild over the Santa Claus and everything. I even like Christmas music and I even play it sometime. My wife can tell you, I even play it sometimes in, in July or June or whenever. As long as it's not Jingle Bell stuff, you know, if it's... If it's all about worship and Jesus and Jesus born in a manger and so forth like that. But I am trying to say here to all of us today, praise the Lord, that there is a truth about God's word that I think that we cannot get away from, that God, we should worship him and honor him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to uh, want you to go with me to, for a moment to the book, book, the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians was another one of those books like Romans, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians. And uh, <clears throat> Paul writes this to the Galatians because the Galatian church was one of the first churches to fall for these, uh, these early church Pharisees who were in the church. And they had gone there and they had mixed up the minds of these people. And this is what Paul says in six. He says here, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, into another gospel, which is not another, but there is some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which, you, than which, uh, which, which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we say, said I say I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul was very emphatic about it. What I have preached unto you is the truth. And whatever they come along and they say this and they say that, and they do this and they do that, there is no truth in it. <clears throat> Later on in verse in chapter three of Galatians, I'm just referring to Galatians for a moment to show you how Paul had to deal with this constantly. In his throughout his ministry, getting souls saved and then having to protect them from people who were trying to draw them after themselves. And Paul even warned the Ephesian church that will come after us. There will come those who will who will try to lead you in a different direction, and they'll try to draw you after themselves. <clears throat> and I just say here today, folks, stay with the book. Hallelujah! The book is never wrong. Stay with the Bible. Stay with the Word of God. God is faithful in all things. Here's what he says here in Galatians 3, 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In other words, it began to nullify what Jesus had done. Let me just say it this way. If you've got to go to the temple and offer sacrifices, why did Jesus die on the cross? 
He was the sacrifice. You don't need another sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. Praise the Lord. They had, they had all kinds of, uh, you know, moral laws and codes. And in the Old Testament, they had, <clears throat> they had moral laws. They had agricultural laws. Agricultural laws. They had uh, sacrificial laws. They had temple laws. They had laws for just about everything. They had social laws. They had laws that went on and on and on and on. And some of these laws, like take an agricultural law. The Lord would say, you know, uh, never, never glean in the corners. Glean over the field one time, never glean in the corners and everything. Leave that for the women and orphans. That's, that's fine. That's a good thing. But do we have to do that to be saved? You see what I'm saying? So they were saying, no, no, you've got to do that. Well, some places there is no agriculture. You know, I didn't grow up on a farm. I don't know how many of you folks did. Some of you did. Maybe some of you did not. You don't grow up on a farm. I don't know anything about farming. I never have farmed in my life, you know. I've worked hard, but never have, never have farmed, you know. So I don't know anything about farming, so this has never applied to me. How can you keep a law that does not mean anything to you? And Paul and Galatians even deals with this. Uh, he says over here in 4, four 9, look at this verse of Scripture. But now after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye, were, ye desire again to be put in bondage or you be in bondage. In other words, you want to go back to those things that God has delivered us out of, even that is of the law. Look at verse 10. Ye observe days and months and times and years. In other words, you're following these things that uh, you're supposed to keep certain feast days. Feed the Jewish people, they had to leave their home for, for seven days and they had to go down and live in tents around Jerusalem on, during the Passover, during the harvest, and uh, during certain feast days, you know, Pentecost, whatever. They had certain days they had to do that. Well, now all these Gentiles have got to do that, you know. Now, let me just say another thing. The Bible tells you whenever the harvest is, the harvest time in Palestine was always around the end of September, the first of, not the first of October so much as the end of September. It was called the harvest, not of the, the first fruits, but it was called the, uh, the harvest uh, of the, the end time harvest. And so they would be gathered together for their end time harvest. They'd have a feast time. They'd all quit working and trumpet would be sounded and so forth. Well, I was in, uh, I've been in South, I've been in Africa, I think about three times. And I was, never forget the first time I was in Africa. It was at, and every time I've gone, it's been at Easter time. And you know what they're doing at Easter time in Africa, South Africa? They're getting the harvest in because <laughs> everything's backwards there. Their harvest is not in September. Their harvest is in April. They're getting the corn in. They got the corn all just like you'd find a farm around here. They got the corn in. They got it all stacked up and everything. They just got through picking the corn. They're getting the harvest in. This is harvest time. Easter is harvest time in South Africa. You know? So what I'm trying to say here is that what the Lord had for the Jews, and God knew that. That's why that he knew the Gentiles were not to try to keep the same thing as the Jews kept because of the area, the locality, how they, you know, the, 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 the confinement of their particular area and so forth. It would be different whatever part of the world you would be in. And Paul understood that as well. God had informed him on all of that. It's the same thing about these, uh, <clears throat> they look at uh, Romans, and I'm fighting the clock here. Look in Romans uh, chapter 14 a minute. 
I'm just jumping ahead in Romans here a little bit. 14, 15, 17. <clears throat> this is where he talks about days, you know, hol- feast days and so forth. And whatever, holidays. Uh, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not meat and drink. It's not what you don't eat and you do eat. But, and it's not what you drink or don't drink. Of course, we don't believe in alcoholic beverages. And I think, think that's good. The Bible says, you know, looked out upon wine when it's strong and talks about strong drink. as other scriptures that condemn that. But it says, but righteousness, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is what the kingdom of God, Paul is writing to Romans. This is what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about keeping the law about what you eat and don't eat and what you drink and what you don't drink. Certain times they could not drink certain things, so forth. He says, verse 18, he says, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. He says in verse 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherein one may edify another. And then in verse 20 it says, for meat destroy not the work of God. And yet there are Christians even today who said that you can't eat, and you can't eat pork, you know. Well, I can show you in the Bible over here in the Old Testament where it tells you all kinds of foods you can't eat, you know. And if we followed that, man, it'd really restrict our diet. Forget lobster, forget shrimp. You know, shrimp, no lobster, no catfish. I mean, telling you, it's, it's, it's all right there, you know. Uh, you can't eat any oysters, ch- uh, clams, uh, whatever, or, what, mussels. Can't eat any of that. No, sir. That was all forbidden in the Old Testament. But yet there are people whose diets, that's all they have. People on some islands and so forth, they, they don't have goats and, and sheep and, and, and cows even. They live, off, they live they, by seafood. And the Lord knew that. So when this gospel go in all the world and preach the gospel, it had to be a gospel that everybody, everybody <clears throat> could say, I can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved because it was all in the Lord. And then Paul went on to say, the Holy Ghost that Christ gives us and puts inside of us, it will help us and lead us and guide us to do what the law intended to do. He says that, you know, the law was trying to teach us love. Love thy neighbor as yourself. And he refers to it in one of these, in one of these scriptures here. Love thy neighbor as thyself. He says, and this is all the law. If you do that, you know, well, the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So when you get the Holy Ghost, you love. You love people. Praise the Lord. Don't, don't you agree with me? Oh, I know somebody can rankle you the wrong way and somebody gets your ire up and so forth and all that kind of stuff once in a while. But, you know, usually we get prayed through over those things. We go on our way. Praise God. <clears throat> I'm just trying to say here <clears throat> that that love of God in us helps us to fulfill everything that the law attempted only through the word and through the letters to try to cause Israel to do. In other words, Israel had to do it under commandment. We do it under love. And the Bible in prophecy in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it speaks about this extensively, how that God is one day going to bring, send forth his spirit and his spirit would be a, something he would put inside so that God's law, instead of being written on stone, would be written on the hearts of flesh. Praise the Lord. And would say, I want to serve God. I want to live for God. I want to walk with God. I want to keep the moral law. Amen. I want to be faithful to my wife if I'm a man and faithful to my husband if I'm a woman. 
I want to do that. Praise the Lord. I want to love my children. I want to keep my family together. I want to uh, help everybody I can. I want to be a good man or a good lady. You know, it's just those things that come with the Spirit of the Lord. And folks, I'm going to be honest with you. Any of us that ever falls short of that, the answer is to go back to God in prayer. I mean, just intensify. If you find yourself tempted, you find yourself, you know, all kinds of things coming your way, troubles and problems, just say the answer to that is to dig deeper in God and start praying, and that Holy Ghost begins to get stirred up inside of you, and next thing you know, the answers come, the way of God is made right, and we say, God, I love you with all of my heart. I love you for all the truth of God. And this is what Paul was trying to tell the Galatians, the Romans, the Ephesians. It's all in Jesus Christ. It's all in him. Praise the Lord. If he said in Colossians, he said, if you've got, the, if you've got Jesus, you've got it all. If you've got him, you've got everything. Praise God. You don't have to go back and keep the law. And he was constantly in his earthly ministry, writing to these epistles, he was trying to straighten out these people that were all getting already thinking they got to go back and keep the law and they got to go back and try to follow it and, and do this and do that. And Paul says, no, no, no. It's fulfilled in the Holy Ghost that is in you. If that's in you, you fulfill everything the law was trying to do. Praise the Lord. He understood that. But these early church Pharisees, I guess, did not understood it, understand it or they did not accept it. And this is why we read sometimes. So to Starting next week, I'm going to get in our second chapter. We're going to talk about some things in Romans. Romans is a beautiful book. It's got some great things in for us, and we're looking forward to it. God bless you. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands to the Lord, and let's just praise him and worship him and thank him here today. Jesus, we love you, Lord. What a great God you are. What a wonderful friend you are, Lord. Bless this congregation this morning. Bless each and every one of us, God, as we are assembled together in the house of God to glorify your name and to lift up the name of Jesus. Amen.